Conscious Couples Conversations is underwritten by Love Pong, the online game that really helps your relationship. Welcome to Conscious Couples Conversations. I'm Bill Weil. Each week on the program, we talk to relationship experts to discover ways to deepen our connection with our partners. I'm excited about my guest today. Jim Thomas is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He served as president of the Colorado Association for Marriage and Family Therapy and director of the Colorado Center for Emotionally Focused Therapy, or EFT. Jim's work focuses on helping people step beyond self-imposed limitations, allowing deeper connections with others and a richer life. Jim Thomas, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me back, Bill. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's, a, it's my pleasure, too. And our conversation was so great. I just want to tell anybody listening that if this one isn't great, go listen to that one because it was really fantastic. Yeah, well, vulnerability <laughs> breakthroughs, I think we called it. It was, right. it was a delight. It was a right. delight. Thank you. Well, let me start with this. I've reached a level of insanity watching couples at restaurants and coffee shops sitting together, both fully ensconced in their phones, mm. not interacting with each other. Do you know what I'm well, talking about? And is this yeah, indicative what, of something missing in relationships? Well, in families, too, or, or the restaurants, you know, the, everybody's on their phone, the coffee shop. I, I think the phones, they're not phones anymore, for one, right? They're, they're phones, they're cameras, they're data points, there are calendars, they are we're getting banged and tanged and tweeted and tickled and poked and all day long. And I think, you know, my gut about it, Bill, is that the phones don't argue with us. They don't, we don't get in trouble with them. There's something there always to, to distract us. But I, I echo what you're saying. I actually feel pain sometimes. Yes. Deep sadness watching. Yes. Um, Want. You know, my wife uh, upgraded a while back, about a year ago, got a bigger phone, a smartphone, and she loaded up Facebook, and we had a habit of, we'd go driving errands or something, have a day off, and if we were in the car, we we often stumble into some pretty nice conversations and sharing, and it took me a few months to, to finally say to her, I, I'm so jealous of your phone, You you get in the car and say... Just a few minutes. I'm just going to check something on Facebook, and I'm in 20 minutes later, half hour later, and um, I miss you. You know. Mm. And when I said I miss you, she's like, "Oh, I, let's put that phone away." Mm. And I think if one person gets on their phone, it's it's harder to say I miss you. Or, uh, and so I pick up my phone. Right? I was driving, so I couldn't pick up my phone. Like, not that not that that's yes we that doesn't stop most people unfortunately yeah. <laughs> I don't, that's out of expertise but yeah. i do think that they're like substitutes for connection and and not to say i mean there's some advantages couples can facetime each other when they're traveling they can text and i love you or uh, i'm thinking about you um that there are advantages to that ability. oh it's absolutely true my son is uh spending four years in italy and he's home for the summer and we spend more time Skyping and connecting when he's in Italy than we do when he's at home. Right. So it's, it's a, it's the medium is not the problem, but I, I yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I think um, I've even seen lately people coming to couples therapy and not disconnecting from their phone and, <laughs> and having to say like, 
hey, Bob, or, you know, Kate, I see you responding to texts and things when we're in therapy, what's going on? And always there's this sense of urgency when they respond. You, 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 I have this thing going on at work. I have this thing that's happening. I, um, then I say, yeah, what would it be like to be here now mm. and be with your partner mm-hmm. um, and turn that thing off? Well, well, that's the other thing is Joanne works from, she leaves the house at 8.30 in the morning and comes back at 8 at night um, and she'll come home and I'm like, oh, great, finally, and I'll start talking with her and her phone will beep, uh-huh. meaning she got a text and, uh, you know, I might be in the middle of sharing something particularly vulnerable and like that and then whatever, the, the, whatever it possibly is on the text, it could be a spam text, it could be a client, whatever, takes precedence because it dinged and well we have to see what that is and uh, I have I've trained her and she's trained me because I'm guilty of a similar behavior you know that that's it's that's um I, I feel dishonored I feel like anything oh, yeah. any ding is more important yeah. than whatever I was saying and I, uh, I, yeah I hear that in your voice when you said I feel dishonored it's yeah. that it's a uh, bit painful right yeah I don't want I want to be more important than a ding on a phone i want to know that if i'm sharing with you would you turn and just spontaneously start talking to a person next to us while i was sharing this exactly because emotionally that's what it feels like when we do this to each other mm-hmm. and, and i'm guilty you know i, I see when my wife at the phone you know i can be on the internet i can i get you know she came at me and said on saturday and sunday morning when i get up you're you're on the internet and I don't feel invited into the space with you. And so I, I've created a habit and I still, I wake up earlier than her. um, But if I hear her getting up, I close that laptop down and I put it away so that when she comes downstairs, I'm ready. She's way more important to me than the computer. Yes, I have. When Joanne calls, I have to literally turn off my screen on my computer, which I'm mm-hmm. sitting in front of all day, um, or else I'm gonna, it's, it's I'm gonna get sucked in. It's funny that you mentioned that. I turned off the screen. You know, we're we're chatting via the internet, and I turned the screen off because the temptation to the little boxes come up. You know, mm-hmm. these things have really transformed. The saying, "Oh, guess what? LinkedIn says you're linked out. Facebook <laughs> says face up. You know, <laughs> tweet over here. It's a, there's an Instagram yeah. just for you. And yeah. That's compelling stuff. I think it speaks to though this bigger question of how do we keep turning towards each other in our closest relationships, our, our marriages, or, you know, couples." Um, in our families, with our friends, in community, turning towards each other when close contact with other people can be complicated and painful and, um, and virtual relationships, scrolling the internet, looking at funny videos people have posted, all these things are not as dangerous, and, but they also don't have as big a payoff. They're like placeholders, I think, of the, a lot of us are just eating up time and we could be connecting. And I, I like what you said, you know, in your introduction. I remember from last time that you're trying to foster, like, more connection. Yes. Right? More connection with people. Yes. Now, that's what you do in your work with emotionally focused therapy or EFT. I'm, I really want to learn more about it. Can you, um, 
can you just talk a little bit about um, EFT, what happens in a session, why it works, how it's different from, say, sure. Imago or other couples therapies? Yeah, let me let me speak to how it works. I, you know, I have great respect. I, I, there's a lot of models out there. I, uh, I will say, since I first was introduced to this emotionally focused couples therapy, often yeah called EFT, emotionally focused therapy, by Dr. Sue Johnson. I saw her in 1998 at a conference. Changed my life that I walked in to see that conference. Uh, there was three choices that afternoon. And something said, "Go go see this lady," and she really touched me. I and I right away, I, wow, this fits because a lot of what I'd been taught in graduate school when I got out of graduate school about adult close relationships was that people needed to first be autonomous, um, to not need the other person, that they had to be comfortable with being alone before they could really be with somebody, and that. Um, that actually, I'm trying to say how to say this, that, that we were kind of shaming this natural desire for contact and comfort and reassurance as adults in our marriages, in our uh, family, in our close friendships, and telling people that they were being too dependent or codependent or enmeshed or fused. And I'd been given all these words and all, I'm uh, feeling sad about it. All these messages that you're, you're supposed to help people be more distant from each other, then they can get close. And it didn't work. And I worked at a place called Denver Children's Home. I was so blessed. Our Skip Barber, Dr. Skip Barber hired me. I saw something. Um, and I'm working with troubled families with youth, Bill, that were in big trouble. They were, having, they were in trouble with school, with probation. Families were highly stressed, um, often families living in economic poverty. And I would try all these techniques, but what I kept learning was if I could foster more connection and understanding and emotional closeness, and one of these teenagers, one of these young adults, could find one person in their family to say, I'm here, and I love you, and I like you, and I'm willing to fight for a relationship with you then all these other things would start to get better. They wouldn't want to do the drugs. They wouldn't be getting in trouble with school. They'd get away from the gang members. They'd start studying harder. And this is what Sue Johnson's taught me is true for adults and couples. That our emotional dependency for each other, for, for you and your wife, is not a weakness. She says it's not a pathology. It's in fact our species' greatest strength. Mm. We need each other. And that first instinct of the little, the little child, you know, there's a very powerful photo that goes around the Internet. It's, it's during a C-section, and the infant has reached up and grabbed the surgeon's finger. Wow. That urge for that kind of contact, mm. to know I belong somewhere, that I'm valued, that I have a home, that I'm not going through this life alone, is wired deeply into us as humans, as social mammals. And we have these huge emotional brains in our midbrain that have continued to evolve to help us navigate that and remind us we need that. And we don't outgrow it. John Bowlby said, the father of attachment theory, from cradle to grave, that life is best experienced as a series of excursions 
out from a, like a safe haven and back to that secure base. And I started to rebel. I, 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 at my agency, when I learned EFT, I said, we need to foster connection. And I wasn't alone in this. I, I felt alone. Then I started finding people like Sue, and I was like coming home. Wow. So, so, so EFT in short is, is more focused on our emotional bond as partners, that it's an emotional bond. And when it doesn't feel safe and secure, if I don't know, are you there for me? Are you accessible? The A, are you responsive to me emotionally? The R, are you engaged in this relationship positively? The E, or for some people, they'll say the A is like, do you accept me? The R is, do you still respect me? And the E is, do you enjoy me? If I can't get a, a yes to that question, I'm going to start asking you that question in more indirect ways. I might start protesting. Maybe you start shutting down. And we get caught in these terrible emotional dances. And this is what EFT works on, is this, this emotional bond. This podcast is brought to you by Love Palm, a free, fun tool that helps you deepen your connection with your partner. Try it today at lovepong.com. So what does it actually look like in a session? Well, that's a great question. Um, unlike so, a lot of models, so, so like Imago teaches an Imago dialogue um, that a lot of people find great value in. And there's a lot more to Imago, but I've just picked that as a, as a part of it. Um, you might... You might go to a therapist that wants to teach you like communication skills. I'm gonna, you're going to learn I statements or how to use the talking stick or uh, <laughs> let, let's le- learn fair fighting rules. Some might teach you negotiation skills. Some might say, hey, you need to sort of differentiate from each other. You're too in each other. You need more space from each other. Um, EFT, in the very beginning when I meet a couple, and I love this work, bro. I, got to, I, did, a, I did an intensive this weekend. So a couple flew from out of state. They were with me Friday from like 8.30 to 5.30, Saturday, 8.30 to 4. And we are just working. We take it, you know, we have lunch break and stuff. But we're stringing a lot of therapy sessions together. So the beginning of that on Friday morning, it's starting by saying, I want to know what brought you here. I want this to be a safe place for both of you. And I find that couples get caught in these terrible emotional cycles. Can you start helping me to understand what happens to you? And they start to describe these cycles. And I, I'm working to slow things down. I, it's not a therapy where you go and invent at each other. It's not a therapy where one person like gets, you know, maybe is the one who tends to complain. And they complain for an hour while the other person sits there. Um, but what if I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm pissed off? I mean... Heck my yeah. partner did something unex- in my in my view inexcusable. Let's say. Give me an example. Um, let's say do? my partner had an affair. Oh yes. Or um, huh? or we were out with uh, another couple, and she said something that was completely embarrassing to me, which she knew would be embarrassing to me, and I felt eviscerated. So those are so both of those sound painful and scary. And I would meet you there. I would say, I want to know about that. That sounds awful from you. And what did you do with that? What did you do when you were that upset? Which is going to start leading us into talking about what kind of negative pattern, cycle, or habits do you get caught up in as a couple? 
I have to validate your pain. I have to catch you and help you with that. While we can build trust, a safe environment, some scaffolding around the relationship before we go in and try to heal an affair. It's very hard. You can't just plunge in. Um, if we take a little less, those are passionate problems, right? person can be very fired up if they've just found out about that. If you take something like, I feel like he never listens to me. We're not close anymore. All he wants to do is watch sports and get, and tells me to give him space because he works so hard. And he says, you know, all she does is nag at me, complain. It's never enough. I don't get any credit for how hard I work. It's always something. That's a familiar sort of place that people start. In that moment, I'm going to go towards both those people. I want to know what it's like for you. that You can't get his attention. It sounds like you don't know if he's there for you anymore. You don't like that he's tuning you out. Maybe it feels like in your dance with him. And, and what happens to you? What do you do when you can't get that attention? You can't get him to listen to you. I'm going to go over to the other person. What's it like for you that maybe back in the day you used to hear positive things. You used to, you know, get along better. And now you're hearing a lot of negative things. It sounds like you feel criticized. And we start exploring that emotional dance in a slower way. For baby boomers, it's, uh, <laughs> I'll date myself, it's kind of like taking a 45 RPM old record. And when couples get into a bad place in a fight, it's like they're playing that record at 78 RPMs. Everything speeds up. Mm -hmm. We want to slow everything down to 33 RPMs. Mm -hmm. We want that really frenetic sort of intense heavy metal or hard driving dance beat that they can't get out of to be more like an Adele ballad. So we can start paying attention to the words and the music that they're dancing to. Mm-hmm. Did that answer that question? What I what it would be like if you came yes. in kind of explosive and really you know loaded for bear? I call it right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I got my emotional shotgun and I'm <laughs> right. Yeah. So you're but, not doing any, um, you know, hey, Tom, when you uh, say that, that's really. Can you see how that impacts your partner? Are you doing anything like that? Not, not in the beginning. I, I want Tom to explore more how he's being impacted, and I want his partner, whether that's you know, in a gay relationship, straight relationship, same, same approach. But um, so here I'll say, but, you know, Sally, uh, I want Tom to be exploring. Here's what happens to me. Let's say Tom's the one who wants more of the closeness, and, mm-hmm. and he's reaching for that, and Sally tends to kind of shut down and mm-hmm. withdraw. What happens to you? Maybe he says, uh, this was just with a couple that I was working with recently. He said, if I go to try to make contact with her and I get anything wrong, this wall goes up and she shuts down and goes away. So what happens to you in your dance when her wall goes up? I want him to explore that. I want, and then she said, he doesn't just come at me. He's already mad at me. Mm -hmm. That's when my wall goes up. What happens to you when he's already mad at you? We start there. I want them to expand their own experience of what happens mm-hmm. when they're in a bad place with each other, when they're in that cycle. I find that if you say to people, look, can you see that what you're doing you know, is hurting your partner? 
it's a bit like saying to you know somebody who's been alcoholic for 20 years do you know you drink too much they know that mm -hmm. they may not show that on the surface but as a therapist it doesn't really help me to come at them and say you drink too much instead i might say can you tell me how you got to a place where you drink a bottle or so of wine every day and what that does for you and I want to show interest in their experience mm -hmm. without trying to push them to change because people can't maintain those kind of changes you know I say Bill can't you see that you upset your wife when you get angry is that gonna help you when you get home and you're feeling distant and insecure mm -hmm. and intrigued right, right. No. there's the um the the dichotomy of intent and impact. Amen. Uh, that one um, maybe you want to speak to that. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, uh, maybe we're out to dinner and my partner says, makes a joke at my expense, and if I asked her, she said, I was just being playful and kidding around, and yet the impact on me was perhaps devastating, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's yes, happened. I, I, hear you. I hear you. I know when you start getting real, Bill. So do your <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, so you, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, intent versus impact. I, I think in the, in the, in the, in the, until a couple's feeling more secure in this emotional bond, until more, more of the time they're getting, they can ask in a more vulnerable, direct way, are you there? And they get a, a response of yes that I'm going to be more focused on the impact when I'm the one feeling hurt or dismissed or devalued or ignored or scared. And on the other side of these, this dance, if I'm the person who's being told, you know, you hurt me or something, I'm going to focus more on my intent. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I start making sense of it as a therapist. I always, if I get in an argument with my wife, and I, I tend to be the, the one who's pushing for more contact and I think I'm being vulnerable with her I feel like my intent was really good I'm coming towards you to try to get close mm -hmm. I don't understand how you couldn't see how vulnerable I was mm -hmm. and she says are you kidding you were angry you got on your therapist pedestal <laughs> you told me the three things that I'd messed up during the day oh I did I didn't feel that way what did you feel inside I felt lonely and like I've been missing you lately. Well, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I I am in fostering and early therapy. We call it the first stage of EFT. Is both people? I would have them both explore. Like go to let's say your wife in that example. And I'd say, tell me more about your intent and what was going on for you. And then I'd go towards you and say, tell me more about the impact. And I want to help you both share that with each other from a more vulnerable place. What were the underlying emotions, the vulnerabilities here? Were you sad? Were you hurt? Were, were, was this scary to you? Were you longing for something? You know, maybe your wife says, I actually, I was trying to bring Bill into the conversation. He seemed to be kind of tuning out. You were. Can you tell him that? I was trying to bring you into the conversation. You felt him tuning out. What was that like when he was tuning out? I don't know. He does that sometimes when we go out, I, and I feel kind of alone suddenly. Was that kind of a, what's that like? Well, I don't know. It's a little tearful for me. You think you could tell Bill that, that on the outside you made a joke, but on the inside you were kind of feeling like alone. And then maybe you say, oh, I didn't know that. It was 
And I say, what was happening for you? Well, it hurts. She's so gregarious and extroverted. And sometimes I feel like she, she's trying to lighten everybody up by making fun of me. And I try to find out what happened there. What happened to you? Can you tell her? So we're fostering these vulnerable conversations within the, this sort of scaffolding or framework of, look, you get caught up in a negative cycle, like all couples. It's painful for both of you. It leaves you both in isolation. And I think maybe you're in this cycle, and we don't jump right here, we usually go to the place of, um, because you're important to each other. Mm-hmm. Is your wife important to you? Mm-hmm. Right? Can you feel it? How much she matters to you, mm-hmm. how much you, you depend on her contact, her consistency, her being your partner day to day. And imagine being in a therapist office that who thinks that's all right. It's not a sign of weakness or something that you may have uh, fears of abandonment or rejection. It means you're human. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you there are issues that you need to overcome. I'm going to tell you they're part of your humanity. Yeah, it's, I guess a lot of it is is accepting our own vulnerability. Yeah, you said that. That's for all of us. I mean, I do this work. I, I Sue Johnson probably say the same thing. You know, I, 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 as, as well as I know her, I know her fairly well. Um, I think she would say, "Yeah, we're all keep discovering new vulnerabilities as we age, as we go through trials and tribulations and accomplishments." Um, we're vulnerable beings and we do best when we can share that vulnerability with people close to us and have them catch us and support us and say, it's okay. It's okay that you're sensitive and that I can learn about joking with you in a different way, Bill. This podcast is brought to you by Love Palm, a free fun tool that helps you deepen your connection with your partner. The premium version includes a powerful, 30-week interactive relationship course. It's all happening at lovepong.com. I want to um, ask you something else. I, sure. uh, I, um, I know two people who speak incredibly highly of you that are, you know, attended, attended from two, uh, some workshops or whatever that you did from 2,000 miles away, which oh. is remarkable that they... Um, they would mention that. I mean, so anyways, so I, I'm interested in the, uh, the intensive that you do with couples. Okay. Um, you started to mention that. I mean, I'm actually interested in potentially doing one with you with Joanne. Oh. And I, I understand people fly in from all over the country, probably out of the country also. Yes. Um, so like what's, what's involved, what happens? I mean, what do you, I mean, I, I'm also curious what would, what would happen with people that are a little more advanced, like, I like to think Joanne and I are after 30 years of working on it. Um, um, I'm curious about what it costs. And I'm curious about how you keep it going after the workshop. Sure, sure. So, so for one, I would, it's not a, a so, so the, I think the people you're referring to were talking about training workshops I do for therapists. Probably. They're both so, therapists, and so, yeah, both yeah. One of the great honors in my my life is that um, you know Dr. Johnson um, gave me the opportunity to, to 
um, be in a, a, a it's an international center for emotionally focused therapy, excellence in emotionally focused therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a place people can find EFT therapists if you go to it's icefeft.com to find a therapist. And there's more and more certified therapists. Um, I really encourage therapists who are using EFT to get certified because it's a way for the public to know you've really committed to learning this model. You're not just dabbling in it. Um, but that's uh, I-C-W-E-F-T. Um, I'm at, I, they can find more about me at engagingtherapy.com or coloradoeft.com, which is the training center. And I do trainings and people come... I just love to train therapists and encourage therapists, and I learn from therapists. I'm so grateful that I'm in a learning environment. The intensives are with one couple. Mm-hmm. They're typically Friday and Saturday. People will fly in on Thursday. There's there's three hotels within walking distance of my office in Lakewood, Colorado, which is part of the Denver metropolitan area. So it's an easy place to get to from um, all parts of the U.S. and Canada. Um, and... They're scheduled through, I have somebody who does my schedule for me, a delightful, wonderful person, um, Kashmira, and they could email her at instituteforchange981 at gmail.com. That's Institute for Change. I'll do my radio voice right now. Instituteforchange981 at gmail.com. She does all that scheduling. She can tell them all the pricing and details. We we have a pre-meeting just to make sure the couple's a good match. You know, that people aren't in, like, active domestic violence, an ongoing affair. Um, there's a few things that would contraindicate people are too stressed to do one. But couples in high stress come for these intensives all the way to what you're talking about with you and your partner. Of We're pretty advanced, but we'd like to, like, take this from, like, standard HD to high-resolution HD as a relationship. Um, so we want to come in and just really drop the barriers between us and learn how to get very vulnerable with each other. Um, and I have everything in between and they come in and, and we, we dive in and start doing work. We take little bathroom breaks. We take an hour for lunch and it's like, kind of like stringing together like 10 or 12 therapy sessions without life getting in the way. You think about, you know, you, you do a lot of good work with a therapist for maybe an hour, you and your partner, and you've got to wait a week to come back and you get triggered. You get into a fight and you've got to kind of kind of go back to, oh, we were in a fight. Um, here, that's the biggest difference. It takes that out of the way. And um, and then I get to, uh, there's, a, there's a certain, uh, I'm trying to find the word. When couples are willing to make this commitment to come do this, it's it's liberating for the therapist too because I know that there's there's some high motivation even yeah. if things are iffy. Right. Does that answer that question? Did I do? Yeah. That? The, the, the what about after um, it's over? How? Uh, so there's a couple yeah. things that happen. Yeah. One one is sometimes uh, I, I a good half of these referrals come from other EFT therapists. Um, and, and then I will, most of the couples will sign a release and I communicate with that therapist and, um, and then we, we talk and, and help them figure out uh, what to do to follow. The nice thing is it's, I can't guarantee this of course, but with a fair number of couples with that concentrated work, um, 
a good number of them make it through to what we call bonding events in emotionally focused therapy, or at least one of the partners gets to experience that. And that's a very powerful thing that, uh, that they can carry with them and then take to that therapist. Some people will come back a couple of months later, um, maybe, um, and if they've done one intensive with me, some people will come back and just do a Friday, kind of re- wrap things up, make sure, you know, strengthen what's happened. Um, so those are the two most common things that happen. The, 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 these intensive actually came out of this maybe six years ago. Somebody said, we really want to work with you for good things. And they were in another state. And I said, well, I can't work across state lines. You know, if you wanted to, you could come here and spend a couple of days working with me and your partner. And I was sort of being facetious. I was, and then they said, when? Uh-huh, right. <laughs> and then intensives were born. So. Got it. You mentioned attachment theory, and um, I'm not sure most people know what that is. I'm not sure I know what it is in, in any level of detail. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It's funny. Sue talks about this. It was, it was a, a rather sort of stoic English gentleman, you know, that wasn't exactly the most emotionally effusive person who, before World War II and, and then after World War II, there were some things, you know, um, how, how hospitalizations were treated with children, that back in the day if a child was maybe hospitalized and had to be in the hospital for, say, five or ten days, they would tell the parents not to come back till they were better because they'd see the kids getting very distraught when the parents left. And he actually filmed uh, the children's reactions to this and, and shared this film of this young girl um, getting basically almost catatonic because her parents weren't coming to visit her. Mm-hmm. And, and when he showed it, this is back, I want to say, in the late 30s, um, his colleagues thought he had faked it. Wow. There's no way. And then they were also looking at things like uh, anybody, uh, World War II history, the, the London Blitz, the, the fear that the Nazis were going to bomb London, and they moved tens of thousands of kids up north uh, to live often with strangers and i had a friend i, I won't name him just out of privacy he's, he's deceased um, he's a very private person but he he was moved at four years old and came back um when he was about nine when the wars ended he remembered nothing about his childhood till the day he got off the train and saw his mother and father again his first nine years of his life a complete was a complete blank wow these are and so attachment theory is a bit like, uh, you know, like imprinting that you know, we know the geese will imprint on their parents. Um, if we think about a lot of the videos we love to watch about like, uh, the you know the donkey and the um, dog have become yeah, really we, close we talked friends, about this but, last time, right? Because yeah. they, I guess, because they imprint on each other. Well, they are attached to each other. They be, you know, right. your dog is attached to you. It's more comforted and feels safe when you're around, and it knows that you're. You like it, and we humans need this too. And I think most people can see it with infants and toddlers that they're attached to their parents. They want to know their parents will be there, that they like them and care about them. And then what we're learning, the part maybe this is another discussion, um, is the emotional part of that, which ties back to emotional focus therapy, ties back to couples, 
the emotional part of that is what's most powerful and compelling. And these emotions that we have, um, joy and sadness and pain and fear and longing and loneliness, the most powerful of our emotions relate to these attachment needs. This need to be belong and be cared about and our need to care for. And they're packed full of powerful information. And unfortunately, a lot of our society and our media and stuff don't teach us this. And so we get at war with our emotions. Um, and attachment theory is basically boldly said, we need each other and we need each other from cradle to grave. We don't outgrow it. We, we don't go from dependent to independent to interdependent. We go from dependent to depending to still depending to depending some more all through life. Are, are there like specific sort of attachment break um, categories sort of why do I think there are? There's styles. So the main thing nature put in us, and you, there's a great book by Sue Johnson, again, Love Sense, mm -hmm. the, the revolutionary, revolutionary New Science of Romantic Love, or, um, or Romantic Relationships that came out in 2013. It's still in hardback because people are buying this thing. It's, it's full, full of such good information. And she talks in there about the three main styles are if you can make a direct reach um, we call it when, if I'm feeling distressed, um, and, and let's say you were, you're, you and I were close friends, we'd known each other for years and, um, we had lunch and you really hurt my feelings. And, and I was thinking about how it'd been a year since we had lunch. If I could call you and say, Bill, I wanted to tell you, I was really hurt at lunch when I, I, I was talking about how long it's been since we've gotten together and you made a joke of it. And, um, and then you spent a lot of time talking about these other two friends you have, and I'm really kind of scared that something's happened here. Maybe we're not as good of friends as I thought. That's a vulnerable reach. You feel how direct it is? Um, when I think about it, it's equivalent to if you were walking around the mall, very distracted, and a young child suddenly appeared at your feet, you know, like a two-and-a-half-year-old, and looked up and said, Mr., help me. I can't find my mommy. What would you do? That's the direct reach? That's direct. It's direct. It's vulnerable. I'm letting you see inside me. My emotions are informing me. They're telling me I'm hurt here or I'm sad here. I need your help. Then there's a withdrawing from that and trying not to have those emotions and trying to shut them down. And can't we just get along? I don't want to have all these feelings. These feelings don't go well. Maybe they weren't encouraged in my family or I got in trouble for having them, or as a male, I got teased for having them. I'm trying to shut it down. I'll try to fix the problem by doing things. I'll try to, I'll try to feel close to you by being physically proximate and close, but I don't want to be vulnerable. I, I, I can feel close to you sexually, but I don't want to open up emotionally when we're sexual. I tend to withdraw emotionally and distance and shut down if things get distressing between us. That's what is a, um, one of the other big options nature gives us. And then the third big option is uh, I get flooded by this. I, I'm, in, I'm in pain or I'm sad or I'm scared. And I, I want to talk about it, but I, I don't know how to talk to you about it in a vulnerable way. And I get upset and I protest and I get maybe get louder. Or I, get, I start complaining. 
or I get critical because I don't know how to bring you close to me. And then you can see when, if you get those two styles kind of going, you know, I'm demanding more closeness, you're withdrawing, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, and that's basically that fundamental basic demand withdrawal kind of protest polka, as Sue calls it, is the most common negative interactional sort of emotional dance couples get into. And that's often what we're helping people with in EFT. So, so those are the kind of the styles. And then you can have a little bit of both you withdraw and you pursue um, that's a little more rare. And, you know, Sue talks about these in Love Sense, and, and you are right. They're generally called attachment styles. And the good news is they're malleable, they're plastic, they can change. You can, if you feel more secure with your partner, you'll come towards that secure reach. That, and, and, man, Bill, it makes all of life better to feel secure with your loved one. It would everything better. It's a, it's a it's a magical thing when it works. When it, when couples can get to what we call these bonding events in EFT, I think their lives are actually they're less lonely and they're a bit easier. Mm. Wonderful. Well, I think you're out of time. Am I correct about that? I have like a minute to okay, good. Well, some way to wrap up. up. Once I, again, I I I've, I came to the call with about twenty plus questions to ask you we've gotten through three and it's always so rich and wonderful uh, i hope we do get to talk again tell us uh, uh uh one more time how people can uh find out more about your work so if you're a therapist and you want to learn about eft and you want to either come to colorado or you're in this area um, may 3rd through 6 um, 2017 we'll have uh, the externship here and you can go to coloradoeft.com and look under trainings. And there are these four-day externship trainings all around the United States, Canada, Europe. We have them in Hong Kong and China. We have them in South Africa and Turkey and Italy. And so, so if you happen to be listening from far away, there's places to go. If you're interested in doing an intensive here, you would email Kashmir at Institute for Change, 981 at gmail.com and um, I was just trying to think of like what a partner or a couple might be thinking and what what we've left off and what would be helpful to them I would say this the gift of emotionally focused therapy that Sue Johnson and, and others have done research and that's given to couples is EFT therapy is a safe place to both need your partner and to go and, and share about how you get into struggles with them, whether you're the person who tends to kind of emotionally pull away or the one who tends to kind of get upset and go towards your partner, it's a safe place to talk about that and not have your need for acceptance, maybe your fear of being rejected and getting it wrong, or your need for connection and your fear of maybe being abandoned or being too much for your partner, that you can talk about the cycle you get caught up in, the underlying emotions and vulnerabilities, as Bill calls them, what it all means to you, and work to create a secure bond with your partner, with a therapist, that if they're doing EFT, are going to not shame you for that or tell you to stop being human. They're going to fight for a deeper, more vulnerable connection 
between you and your loved one, which is really what your um, your interview show is all about. Thank you, Jim. It has been wonderful speaking with you again and a real gift. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Let's do it again soon. I would love to. Thanks for everything you're doing, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please check out our other podcasts at lovepong.com slash podcast. While you're there, check out lovepong.com. You'll be glad you did. I'm Bill Weil. Thanks for listening.